There are Bibles in the uh, chairs, and you can find the reading on page 1105. 1105. The reading is from Acts chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Do you need help with this? Microphones have been so interesting at Christchurch lately that I'm not even going to try using a, 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 a one of those mics. So I'm just going to uh, speak to you from here. Let's pray together. Lord, may these words be your words. And may the message you want to bring this morning speak to our hearts. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at our vision statement and what it means to be a church together. And each aspect of our vision has been rooted in the context of love Jesus, live Jesus, learn Jesus. And the foundation on which all of this has been built is the way that we reflect, uh, the way that we live will reflect our experience of Jesus. Therefore, if we want to pray dependently, love sacrificially, or any other outliving of church, we need to invest in knowing Jesus in heart, mind, and spirit. Or love Jesus, learn Jesus, and live Jesus. Today, we conclude this vision series by looking at a church that witnesses organically, which means that we want to witness without chemical fertilizers scratch that. (laughs) To witness organically is to witness naturally, for the witness to be a natural byproduct of what we are already doing, living, learning, and loving Jesus. But what does it mean to be a witness in the first place? Well, a witness is someone who has seen something take place and is there to tell of all that they saw, heard, and experienced. And likewise, as Christians, we are called to present a testimony about the truth that we have experienced and heard. Now, we're going to have a little look at a a video produced by the Bible Project, which is a crowdfunded organisation that seeks to bring uh, media presentations that support Bible teaching. Um, It does... Oh, you see, I was trying to fill then... And you're there already. Fantastic. So let's have a look at how the Bible Project explains witness in this short video. When you hear the word witness, you might think of someone who sees something shocking or important and then shares their testimony with others. The word witness is used like this in the Bible too, but here's what's really fascinating. This word actually helps us understand the entire storyline of Scripture. In the Bible, a witness is basically someone who sees something important or amazing. In Hebrew, this person is an aide, and in Greek, a martus. And if this person begins to share what they've seen, we call this bearing witness, in Hebrew, oud, and in Greek, martyreo. So in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, they can bear witness about what they saw. So that's the basic meaning of the word witness. 
Now, if we follow this idea throughout the Bible, we learn that God wants a group of witnesses, people who see and experience him to ood or represent him to the world. So beginning with the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel witness Yahweh as the powerful king of the nations when he rescues them from slavery. Then he appoints this one nation to bear witness or ood to the rest of the nations about what they experienced. He calls them a kingdom of priests or people who connect all other nations to Yahweh, the true God and king. But there's a big problem. The Israelites aren't good witnesses. In fact, they start worshiping other gods. So God raises up a chief witness, Moses, to ood or bear witness to the people who are supposed to be the real witnesses. When Moses meets with Yahweh on Mount Sinai, he sees and experiences God face to face. When he comes down, he ooods, he bears witness to the people about his experience. He even writes a song as a witness so that they would never forget how God has cared for and rescued them. But as the story goes on, Israel does forget. They fail to truly see God, so they fail as his witnesses. So God raises up prophets who are like Moses to ood, to open their eyes to who their God really is. Like Isaiah, he has a vision of God as the cosmic king, and he's sent to ood to bear witness to the Israel of his day because they're blind, they're corrupt, and they don't recognize God as their king. So Isaiah says that one day, God will raise up the ultimate chief witness, a figure called the servant. He will open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see Yahweh and bear witness to the nations that their God is the king who will rescue the world. And now, when we turn to the story of Jesus, we find him claiming to be that servant and witness spoken of by Isaiah. He's the ultimate witness, or in Greek, the martus. Crowds of people witness him saying that he's bringing God's kingdom, that it's here right now through him. They see Jesus healing people, even restoring sight to the blind. Many recognize who he is and respond to his message, but many others still refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom, that is for being a martus. In fact, this is where the word martyr comes from. But then, after Jesus' death, something amazing happens. Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead, and they recognize that he is the divine king, Yahweh himself, who has come to rescue the world. After that, Jesus sends them out to martyreo, that is, to bear witness to the nations, to open their eyes to this risen king who has conquered death and who offers freedom and rescue and the hope of a new creation. And it's this story about Jesus that's been spread all around the world by faithful witnesses. And to this day, when someone hears the story of Jesus and experiences the love of God for all humanity, the most natural thing to do is to simply bear witness. Witness for Christ is to tell those who have not seen or experienced the Lordship of God in their own lives about it from their own experience or from our own experience because this is us. Witness for Christ is also something that we are. In Isaiah 48 verses 10 to 13 it says, you are my witnesses, that you may know and believe me and understand I am he. I am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. 
I declared and saved and proclaimed where there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, and I am God. Which is then echoed in the New Testament, in the first letter that Peter wrote. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, just as it mentioned in, uh, in the video there. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a chosen people so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. We are not here just to simply experience it and keep it to ourselves. This is what the Bible tells us to do. But there are many among us who will find the whole call to witness rather scary. Although we know we should be countercultural and that we should stand out among the lost, we don't really want to stand up on a street corner with a megaphone and announce that the wages of sin is death. But this is where we return to that passage that Graham read to us from Acts 4. Peter and John are facing the Sanhedrin and are basically asked to get themselves into trouble by bearing witness to the power that comes through the name of Jesus. And their answer is telling. In verse 20, they say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Because Peter and John and the other apostles had spent time in the company of Jesus, it had become impossible to live life as if he didn't exist. In fact, it had become impossible to live life as if he wasn't at the centre of everything they did. They couldn't hide it, even had they wanted to. As we've learned here over the past year, it is borderline impossible to preach without including a quote from the philosopher Dallas Willard. And this one is perfect for today's message. Paralysed by grace is what happens when Christians develop a theology that renders them passive. Anyone who really gets hold of God's grace will be set on fire. And this is not grievous bodily harm, I hasten to add. This is holy fire that comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of fire that explodes in each one of us when we find something in life that inspires us and fills us with enthusiasm. I'm sure you have known people in your life who always manage to get the conversation round to their own passion. Whether it's a person, a hobby, a book or a product, they simply have to talk about it. It's that moment where you kind of roll your eyes because you think, well, I knew we'd end up talking about that eventually. I won't mention Dallas Willard and anybody who may mention the person quite often, but you know what I mean. Peter and John's argument was that if you have experienced the grace and blessing of God, then you simply cannot help speaking about what you have seen and heard. So let's take a deeper dive into what it looks like to witness organically. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew to be disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think if you ever receive a, uh, an email from Andrew, you will find that written at the bottom of it. 
because that's the verse that you, you, you assign to every message that you, you send to anybody via email is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's it. You come with me, you follow me, watch me, copy me, do the things that I do, live with me, and the result will be that you will become effective witnesses, building the kingdom. And they came. He didn't say that they'd need to complete a training course, or pass exams, or learn public speaking, or do an introduction to theology course. No. He said, invest yourself, body, mind, and spirit in me, and you will have first-hand experience to witness about. Just as we saw in that video. They saw what he was doing, and they became witnesses. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, and the high the high priests themselves make a wonderful observation in verse 13. Having heard what Peter and John had to say, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It showed. And not just because they had wise words, but because of their courage. The court did not expect people to have courage and confidence Most people saw them as the highest authority of the Jewish faith and would have been fearful of their judgments, but not Peter and John. To them, God's authority was greater, and they knew that given the choice of who to obey, the Sanhedrin or God himself, there was no contest. And they even challenged those leaders with that same question, a wonderful Jewish tradition to answer a question with a question. So the challenge today is not to witness bravely or even to witness wisely. It is to invest in experiencing the grace of God. Because once we know fully what it is to live under his grace, the witnessing will happen organically, without any artificiality, without awkwardness, just a natural byproduct of our relationship with him. Although I made a commitment to God when I was nearly seven years old, based on the fact that I wanted to spend eternity in heaven rather than hell when I died, and recognizing that the only way to do this was to accept the gift of life through Jesus' death and resurrection, forgiving my sins, it wasn't until I was about 35 that I experienced something of Jesus that changed my life into one that was actually shaped by a living relationship with him. For me, it was reading a book written by Adrian Holloway called The Shock of Your Life. It's just 160 pages, and it tells the stories of three young people involved in a fatal accident and how they experience coming face-to-face with Jesus. I won't spoil it for you, But the way that Adrian Holloway interpreted scripture in order to suggest what that day might look like ignited in me that fire that Dallas Willard spoke about. I do recommend the book. But for you, that moment may come from anywhere where you invest in experiencing the grace of God in your life. So how can you invest in experiencing the grace of God in your life? Well, there are three ways 
And we need all three of them. The Bible, prayer, and fellowship. And without all of them, we miss something of what God wants to invest in us. The former pastor to Queen Elizabeth, John Stott, says that God does not save people from sin without also saving them into the body of Christ. We are supposed to be a community of believers. The church lies at the very centre of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. Fellowship is so important that it is pivotal to where the, ch- where the church, where the family of believers are going and how we witness. Stott also comments wisely on our need for the Bible. God must speak to us before we have any liberty to speak to him. He must disclose to us who he is before we can offer him what we are in acceptable worship. The worship of God is always a response to the word of God. Scripture wonderfully directs and enriches our worship. The more we read or hear about God, the more likely we are to hear from him. And when we hear from him, we start to experience who he is and a relationship begins to flourish. We love him because he first loved us and we can invest ourselves in him because he first invested himself in us. As that relationship is nurtured both by our conscious choices and through the Holy Spirit in us, it grows and becomes something powerful. The organic witnessing is as natural as the seed that is rooted in good soil pushing its shoots above the soil, growing leaves and bearing its fruit. But what should our witness look like? Being a witness has to be a combination of words and deeds. Good deeds don't earn our salvation, but they are an appropriate response to what God has done for us. In fact, it is often the things we do that naturally lead to the conversations that we can share the words of the gospel. Going back to Peter's first letter in chapter 2, verse 12, he tells us to live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. How about that? Just by living good lives, we can point others to the glory of God. And Peter continues in chapter 3 of the same letter. He says, Always be willing to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the deeds come first, but they are followed by a willingness to share the reason for our hope when asked. Peter doesn't tell us to approach the pagan on the street and ask if you can share your faith. He assures us that we will know when the time to share is right because we will be asked How do we do it? How do we have such hope? And if we're not being asked, then we need to go back and focus on the lives that we are living. Do they point to the glory of God? Jesus tells us, his disciples, in John 13, uh, verse 34, that if we love one another, 
everyone will know that we are his disciples. He goes on to say in chapter 15 that by bearing much fruit, we will show ourselves to be his disciples. And the fruit that the Bible describes? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the final point of our outliving of our discipleship. We are not only people who witness organically. We are a church that witnesses organically. We love one another as we are commanded to do, and we bear much fruit together because we are collectively one body, the body of Christ. We are collectively the bride of Christ. We are a collective. Some time ago, John Marsh spoke to us about the importance of knowing our story. And we have many stories to know. The story of the church, the story of the gospel. But if we know our own story, the story of our own personal experience of God, how we've met him, walked with him, doubted him, been angry at him, followed him, seen him at work, and have hope in him, then we can be ready to share that hope with others. Before I finish in prayer, on your way out this morning after the service, I will be at the back ready to receive your warm gratitude for the wonderful... <laughs> no, sorry. I will be at the back. I don't know where that came from. Um, with some wonderful certified organic witness stickers that I have to give out for each of you, just as a reminder. So please do take them because they are uh, expensive and lovely and highly valuable. Please do take them and please put it somewhere where it will help you remember that witnessing isn't about grabbing a megaphone and standing on a street corner. Witnessing is about being ready to have an answer to anyone who asks you, and they will ask you if you are living the life of someone who is on fire for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you that because of your Holy Spirit in us, we only need to seek to experience you and then the witness will happen organically. Thank you that we can focus on loving one another, on bearing fruit, and we will become a church that witnesses organically. Thank you that you give each one of us a story. And when it is right to share it, we will witness organically. Give us the time, the strength, the enthusiasm to invest in you because you have invested in us. And to live lives that point to the glory of God. Amen.
we go. Excuse me. Thank you, Jacqueline. That was excellent. That was, um, yeah, good way to summarise up the uh, series that we've been following over the last uh, however long. But thank you very much, yeah. I think um, we're going to come to affirmation of faith. I think on what Jacqueline's said just gives us plenty to ponder over. And uh, on strength of that, let's just give it back to God with our affirmation of faith. So let's stand together as we uh, say the words. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you, do you believe and trust in God the Father, source of all being and life, the one for whom we exist? We believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust in God the Son, who took our human nature, died for us and rose again? We believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust in God the Holy Spirit, who gives life to the people of God and makes Christ known in the world? We believe and trust in him. This is the faith of the church. This is our faith. We believe and trust in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to stand to remain to sing and we're going to sing Cornerstone.
Stay. 